Africa is uh, different than I imagined, and I love the trip so far. And Africa is different because when you picture Africa, you picture like the savannah and safari, but it's so much more than that. There's like, there's markets, there's uh, madrasas, that's school. And um, there's like a lot of leather stuff and there's delicious food. It is delicious. That's right, folks. That's the voice of Zoe Friedland. She's coming up. She opens up this episode of Roaming Roots number three, recorded December 29th, 2023. We follow up with Brent and Abby and Zoe, their daughter, as they tell us all about their trip from America to Portugal to Spain and now into Morocco. So sit back and relax. And thanks for joining us for Roaming Roots episode number three. So here we are. We're back again. This is episode three of the Roaming Roots podcast. Um, and th- those who've listened previously know that we've spoken with both Brent and Abby, who are the parents of Zoe and Simon, and they're going on this big trip around the world. Um, we decided for episode three today to start off our our, our conversation with Zoe. Uh, Zoe is their daughter, and she's going to introduce herself in a second, her age and all that sort of stuff. But we're glad to have her on here. Uh, for those who enjoy hearing Zoe's interview today, if they go over to our, our sister podcast, The Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast, Zoe has been a guest twice on that podcast so far. So this is her third time with uh, with with her and I having a conversation and uh, discussing her trip so far. So Zoe, before we get started on the trip itself, can you tell our listeners your your age, where you go to school? Just tell them, kind of paint a picture for our listeners about who you are. Um, I'm Zoe Friedland. And I am nine years old. My birthday is in April, so I'm almost 10. And I love my teachers. Very nice. So you love your teachers and you're, and you're closing in on double digits. And, you know, every time you've been on the podcast before, you've always been very thoughtful and very, uh, very uh, measured and very considerate of your thoughts and of your ideas and, and what you thought going on here. We've talked about adventure racing in the past. And now this is a bigger adventure your family's taking, right? And, yeah. you know, and... I want you to, for the listeners, tell us a bit about the adventure that you're all undertaking. What are you guys doing? Uh, we are doing a seven-month trip um, from Portugal and Spain uh, to South Africa. We are going to Portugal. We're going to Port. We we went to Portugal and Spain. We went to Porto. Locha in Lisbon in Portugal and Granada and Sevilla in Spain. And right now we're in Morocco. Uh, we're in Meknes and we've been to Marrakesh, uh, Tangier for one night and Chef Shaoun, which was amazing. It was all blue. Like everything was blue. Even the apartment was blue. And then we are going to... um. Rabat, Marrakesh, and the desert for a little bit. Um, And after Morocco, we're going to Southeast Asia, Thailand, Nepal, Cambodia. I don't know where else we're going. Um, And then we're going to Tanzania for my birthday. And then Rwanda, probably South Africa, and one more that I forget and maybe a couple places on our way home. So so currently right now you're you're in Morocco, you've done a lot of, a lot of Morocco. How how long has the trip been going on so far? How many weeks are you into it? Mm. 
about a month and one day in. Today is Friday, um, which means we are four and a half weeks in about. Gotcha. Gotcha. And for those at home, we're recording this on Friday, December 29th, 2023. So the trip is roughly several weeks old. Um, in, in my conversations with your mom and dad about the trip, they talked about um, the, the size of the trip and, and all that the family's going to have to wrap their heads around and all that they're going to do. And I think it's like the idea of a sandwich, right? You took a big bite of the sandwich, right? You're, this is, and, and I see you smiling when I say that. What is your, what are your impressions so far about the trip? And, and what have you, what is the trip compared to what you thought it was going to be like to what it's like right now? Um, Africa is uh, different than I imagined, and I love the trip so far. And Africa is different because when you picture Africa, you picture like the savanna and safari, but it's so much more than that. There's like, there's markets, there's uh, madrasas, that's school, and um, there's like a lot of leather stuff, and there's delicious food it is delicious it is so good um it's it's really really incredible and i've been to europe many many times so europe just felt like europe so gotcha and i think your parents said that they said that portugal and spain because they've been in western europe before that it felt very comfortable and very much there and that that the trip across the ocean the trip into northern africa and into morocco was a a big kind of a, a culture shift for for all of you Um, Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Um, It was very different because immediately when we got here, there was like, we couldn't pet any more dogs. We couldn't like, we had, we had to purify the water before we drank it. We couldn't brush our teeth with it. It was um, hard because there was a lot of adjustments that we needed to do to, uh, well, really like live here for a month. Um, gotcha. And and the idea of those adjustments is interesting, right? Cause like in, like, for example, like the idea of petting a dog, right? That that's a very natural thing for, for everyone to want to do. A lot of people love dogs very well, but there's, there's yeah. different, the, the relationship to animals is different in Northern Africa than it is in Western Europe. And you had to wrap your head around that. Yeah. Cause like we've seen like tiny tiny kittens that looked like they were like a day old and then we saw tiny tiny puppies that looked like they were uh, they were puppies (laughs) and it was like actually one of the puppies a couple of the cats people pet around but no one pets the dogs i've seen a couple dogs that were owned and one of the littler puppies um was like jumping up on a person um, and it was adorable. It was like a little black puppy. It was like as probably about smaller than my brother. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, and by speaking of your brother, we may get him on the podcast eventually, too. How old is Simon? He is four years old. He's kind of sassy. Um, he's like, he calls everybody dude and he goes crazy and he doesn't listen. When you say he's kind of sassy, he doesn't listen. Does he get that from your mother or from your father? Uh, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think my dad was very sassy as a kid, and I don't. Think my mom was either. So I don't know. <laughs> so I like. I think that your parents will appreciate your non-answer there. So very good job doing that. Um, what has been the best part about the trip so far? 
there was a market in Lisbon called the Time Out Market, and it was like my favorite food place of all of the trip. It was so fun. There was like so many different types of food. I, me and Simon shared a delicious uh, steak. And my dad got an octopus hot dog. I did not like it, but an, an octopus hot dog. Did your father know he was getting an octopus hot dog when he bought it? Did he choose the octopus hot dog? Yeah, he. When they went to Lisbon before, they actually got the octopus hot dog, and my dad loved it. So my brother wanted to try it. Neither of us really liked it, but. So, you know, it's funny you bring the food up, right? Because when we, we interact with our world in so many different ways, it's what we see, it's what we feel, it's what we touch, it's what we hear, but it's also what we eat. And and what's it been like for you to to go through the different countries and the different time zones and the different cultures? And then the idea of the food that you've had to eat along the way. Are you, an, are you in general, are you an adventurous eater or are you a picky eater usually? I before we left for the trip, I was pretty uh, a pretty picky eater and I've gotten better. But sometimes I'm still kind of picky. Um we there was only one thing on the trip that we had to eat and I just didn't like. What was that? Um we in Losha we did not go out to dinner one night and like we don't always go out to dinner and it's fine sometimes. But we had like canned rice and canned hot dogs and like chickpeas and really I didn't like I didn't like it. It was cheese and we mixed it all together and it was warm and I just it didn't, it, didn't, like it didn't appeal to you. Yeah, it didn't really jump out at you. It was just like we had to eat something, so we ate it. And gotcha, gotcha. Even if we didn't enjoy it, we ate it. Portugal and Spain, most of the foods were very um, familiar, and since I was our, I'm our, like I'm homesick already. It didn't like it helped a little. Just like it kind of like reminded me of home. A little, but now that we're in Africa, like there's plenty of food that like that, and we we have like French fries and pizza usually for um like um lunch, and then yesterday we had smoothies for dinner, which was kind of surprising because of the water. That was the first smoothie we have eaten in Africa. So you know, you mentioned the idea of being homesick, and and it's a, it's a big adventure you're on, and there's a lot of changes you're going through. How is what's the homesickness been like, and how you been dealing with that? Um, there's been a few times where it's like, it's really hard, like on Christmas, uh, because like, we're usually at least in a part of the world that celebrates Christmas. We, I've never been in a part of the world that does not celebrate Christmas on Christmas, except for in Africa. Like we did a cooking class and there was actually Christmas decorations. We make cookies. Um, but that was really it. And, um, Another part of the homesick was, like, we ate so much Moroccan food for a while. We just had the exact same thing every day, and it's delicious. But sometimes I just, like, I get tired of it, and I just want something that feels like home. Gotcha. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think the you're spot on when you talk about how um, – you know, sometimes you just want to kind of be home and then you you balance that lack of being home with the idea of being on adventure with your family. So how have you as a family, how have you worked through the homesickness? Um, well, Simon doesn't get being homesick and my parents like uh, can control it more than I can. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been pretty easy for most of them. 
Um, but like I have a really big connection with most of the friends I miss and I made a really good friend this year and, um, I'm really missing her. She's like one of my best friends. Have you had any chance to interact with other with other kids so far? Uh, yeah, my mom, we made a friends with a family. We actually went out to dinner with them and they had an eight year old daughter that I'm actually messaging with messenger kids. They're French. So we're using Google translate and she is emailing. She is texting me in, uh, uh, English, I'm texting her in French. So and then you, and then you figure that little- and you figure that out as you kind of use the translate to go back and forth and know what each other's saying. Yeah. Um, I wrote something in my notebook and it was like a list of words and then the the French um the French the French version of that word right exactly an American an English word and then translated over to a French word. So 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 how much French have you learned so far? What's a French word you've learned? Uh Can I get my notebook? It's right there. Go for it. Go get it. <laughs> For those at home right now, I'm looking at Zoe's uh, room right now. She's staying appears in a very, very nicely appointed. It looks like an Airbnb hotel. There's there's some sort of wallpaper on the wall that's a geographic pattern with with like like circles and squares. Am I right about that, Zoe? It's tile. It's tile. Oh, it's tile. Okay, okay, it's tile. So you have your notebook. There's now? a lot of intricate tile and woodwork. I haven't learned how to. Uh, speak a lot of these okay but um i know like the words that i've so i already knew a few i knew thank you hi and then i learned like dinner and sorry good eight because it's really just i'm only putting down the words that i knew so they can be really random words like dinner or sorry or eight or good tell me about this blue city of yours um, so we went to a blue city called Chef Shaun, and the blue part is, that was the pencil, um, the walls and the floors, um, and we went, we summited a mountain and we could see like the entire town and it actually doesn't look that blue from above because not many of the rooftops are blue. Right. So. Why are they blue? Like, what is it? The, is it the sandstone? Is it the? Oh, you don't know yet. No, they painted it. I think, but I don't know why. Okay. Okay. Um, and also, our apartment—the pillows and blankets on the couch were blue. Okay. And like the floor was blue and stuff, so it was kind of cool. So, what's what's a brand new thing you've learned so far? What's something that you didn't expect to learn that you now know? Um, I learned that I really like Moroccan tea, but I can only have it once a day because it because it has we just learned it has caffeine in it. Oh. <laughs> you were drinking caffeinated. I, you didn't realize that. No, none of us did. And my brother was drinking it like three times a day, like all of us. So he was going crazy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very nice. Okay. So so you really like the Moroccan tea? What what do you what do you what do you dislike the most? Hmm. The homesickness and just like 
Yeah, basically. That's basically it. Okay. Okay. And I think that's, I think that's a completely appropriate reaction, right? I think that, like I said before, when you're your age, you're very connected to your friends. I think over time though, I think as the trip takes on more of a, more of a, a larger part in your life, those friends, you'll, you'll still miss them, but I don't think it's going to be, it's going to get in the way of the trip itself. I think you'll find that over well, time. It get in the way usually there was like one time it got in the way on Christmas, but that was it. Yeah. And I, I have to tell you, I think having that reaction on Christmas is completely appropriate. I know that I would react the same way because it, because you were in a place that didn't feel very Christmassy and you're used to having a big Christmas with family and friends. Yeah, not usually family. Most of our family doesn't celebrate Christmas. Well, in my dad's side of the family does, but he, they live in Massachusetts. So, okay. Let me ask you a question about this. Um, your schooling. How's that going well, so far? It's pretty fun. We're doing a lot of like games and like when we're hiking, I'm reading almost every day. Um, I'm reading a really good book book called Losers Club. It's about a boy who loves to read and is trying to start a club, but he doesn't want many people to be in it. So he just wants two people him. And he got another girl named, uh, I forget, Nina. And him, his name is Alex. Alec. So Alec and Nita, Nina started this and Alec named it the loser club. So not many people joined and he wouldn't have to get distracted every five minutes. What else have you learned so far? I, well, let me, let me rephrase that question. What have you learned about um, how have your parents integrated learning about the cultures and the countries you're passing through into your schooling? Or is it all like stuff you'd be learning at home? I do some like math stuff. My dad gives me some bigger math problems and I have uh, like online math stuff and I'm reading my, they, my mom and dad give me like drawing things that I need to do and writing. And then the other stuff is just like when we go out, like we, we went to um, a castle on another hike we did in um, Locha, Portugal. And, um, we learned that in Escape Tower, um, the the walls were slanted, so it was harder for the people to get in that were attacking. And in Lisbon, we went to this um, really high thing with peacocks just all over, like literally. Like the, like the birds? Like real birds walking around? Mm-hmm. Were you expecting that? Nope. Nope. Well, oh. yes. Yeah. Like I knew they were going to be there. Um, and we learned that um, there were like these little slots. It was really hard from the outside for you to like shoot a bow and arrow or something in. But you have like a perfect target when you're inside shooting. You're shooting out. Oh, arrow. OK. OK. We also saw in Gibraltar when we were coming to Morocco, we saw um Barbary monkeys and they're these golden monkeys and they're adorable. We saw like a million baby ones and one jumped on me and Simon. Did you try to bring one home with you? No, I wanted a baby monkey to jump on me, but then one actually did and I changed my mind. (laughs) 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 Well, you know, you you know, you know, know, until the monkey jumps on you, you think it's going to be a lot of fun and then it jumps on you. It's not so much fun. I think I thought, and I think that one was an exception because that one, one, my dad thinks it has fleas, and I think he's right because it was itching a lot. Okay. And also, it was really cheeky. Um. So, 
it was just like it was kind of like Simon, honestly. <laughs> 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 so you just told the world that your brother's like a monkey. So, so 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 what's next on the trip for all of you? What are you going next? Thailand. Thailand. So are you so are you going so you're going from so is how many more days are you in Morocco? Few weeks. A few weeks. And then and then it's obvious. So it's not like you're going to Thailand tomorrow, but you're in Morocco now. So you've taken now, you've taken planes, you've taken trains, you've taken buses, you've we've walked. done like everything. We've walked, we rode bikes for my grandma's for my grandpa's birthday. So biking, walking, cars, trains, planes, buses. Really everything. <laughs> what, what, when I talked with your parents back in the beginning about this, they talked about everyone carrying their own backpack. And the idea yeah. of getting, the idea, the idea of getting stronger. Have you, have you felt yourself getting stronger during the trip? Like, are you better at walking now? Yeah. Or you can, are you going to carry yeah. more? We had to carry our bags for like four miles. Wow. And how are you doing with that? My hips and shoulders and legs and like all over hurts a lot after, but it's, I'm getting better. You're getting better. Well, I bet you're getting stronger too. That's probably a side effect of the trip is you're going to get stronger in many ways, right? You get stronger physically, you get stronger emotionally, you get stronger educationally. Like there's a lot of really good things that will come out of the trip. Now, before I let you go, any clothing, any closing thoughts? If you guys ever come on a trip like this, it is amazing and you should be excited, but you should also be prepared for um, whatever scary or hard things might come on the trip. So aside from the homesickness, we'll put that over here for a second. What else has been hard on the trip? There's a lot of like, it's hard to see like the hurt animals and like homeless people. Uh, it's just kind of hard to see that. And then also like some of these alleyways at night are really dark and there's like, like, um, like just things like trash and stuff scattered all around it we don't like want to step on it well you've zoe you've been an excellent guest so far and that's always really fast 25 minutes holy cow we spoke for a long time okay so that was zoe we had a chance to talk talk to zoe friedland she did a great job mom and dad you could rest comfortable that your daughter represented your trip very very well so she's a great kid and i've known her for years now so fantastic stuff here we're now episode three of roaming roots um she did a really good job breaking down the trip so far in terms of the places you've traveled you know portugal to spain now you're in north africa you're in morocco so to her credit she listed all the cities you've been to and she did a great job so we don't need to do that here as part of this but what I'm really curious about and the feedback I'm getting from our listeners as we talk about it is the idea that that Portugal and Spain was the was the the prologue, the beginning of the trip. And then you made the jump into to North Africa, into Morocco. And and now the trip kind of, dare I say, begins. And I know that's not the right way to phrase it. The trip began a, a weeks ago when you left your homes. But now you're in a uh, the deep end of the pool in terms of new cultures, new people managing with the kids. How's that going so far? I, yeah, I mean, I, I think we've, I think we've talked about it with you, and we've certainly talked about it a fair bit ourselves. And absolutely, you know, I think we all along saw Portugal and Spain as a warm up, almost a way to kind of ease the kids into just like a travel routine. And as we talked about, that was pretty uneven with, um, you know, Abby's uh, parents and sister, just kind of uh, a different a different rhythm than what we were kind of looking for um, with the kids. Uh, that's again not a critical comment, just a different reality. 
but now, yeah, it feels like things are, are really, really uniquely different for us. Um, and even today we were just talking about how, how well we feel like Zoe is handling the challenges that come with traveling in a place like Morocco. You know, one of my best friends um, who's traveled extensively and worked for the U.S. government in some pretty intense um, environments, um, you know, remarked on how he felt like Morocco is the hardest place he's traveled in. Um, I would not agree with that myself, but like it is certainly a, a world away from Europe and North America. Yeah, that that, that big change that the, the a huge jump, right? Geographically, not really that far away. Culturally, a huge gap between those two, those two worlds that you're living inside of. When 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 she spoke about the 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 the, the trip itself, she the Moroccan tea, the caffeinated Moroccan tea crash course, and <laughs> figured that had caffeine in it. Um, she talked about that a little bit. She talked about the idea of the food and all that was going on there. Um, and so she did a very nice job, kind of capturing the, the gist of the trip so far. And so to your credit, and she kind of gets that also the fact that it was a big leap for her. Um, how do you think that the, the trip itself is the way it's unfolding in front of you so far and knowing that Morocco is going to be Morocco? Is this what you thought was going to be like when you arrived in country there or is it is it different? Is it better? Is it harder? How would you categorize that so far? Yeah, I think that on one level, it feels easier than I was expecting. Um, you know, there are things about traveling here that are that are unlike anywhere I've ever been. And a lot of that is because I've, I've never been to a predominantly Muslim country. And so um, the gender dynamics and the call to prayer, which is amazing, um, but it's now kind of integrated into our daily lives. When we first arrived, you know, the first morning we were woken up at five o'clock in the morning by the 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 speakers outside the mosque, literally next door or across across the alley from where we were staying. Um, it's been neat to kind of have those things become a part of our daily experience. Um, but also, by and large, the water has been reasonably okay. So we're we're filtering the water that we're drinking and we're being aware of how we're eating during the day. Um, but we're also taking more risks than we might in other parts of the world and certainly than we will in Southeast Asia. Um, so I think there has been a little bit of a, a buffer um, from what I was in, um, expecting when we crossed over the Strait of Gibraltar. Gotcha. Now, for, for those at home who are watching, following a map, Walk us through the, the the geographic trip so far, Brent. Walk us through that a bit. You came across from first of all, what was the crossing like? And uh, I mean, like almost like granularly, like was it was it a passport control? Did you just walk across? Like was it what you expected? Were there visas? Were there excise taxes? Was there a cost to get in? Like how granular was that experience crossing into Europe into Africa? Yeah, so we actually we had two different really unique border crossings in 24 hours. Um, you know, so when we departed uh, Abby's family in Granada, we actually rented a car. It's the only car we've rented thus far for about 24 hours. Um, and we drove down to a little town called Linea de Concepcion, I think, um, which is a Spanish town right outside of Gibraltar. And Gibraltar, for those that don't know, is controlled by the United Kingdom. So it's British territory. Um, so there is an actual border there. Um, and uh, so that was pretty wild. We actually, you know, stayed on the Spanish side because it's a bit cheaper um, and easier in terms of the border crossing. You don't have to sit in a long line with a car and then deal with parking it in Gibraltar, which is 
busy. Gibraltar's got a lot of activity in it. So we park our car, um, basically uh, just leave it in a parking garage, lock up all our stuff in the car, walk to the border. You walk through this little building while all these cars are lined up. It took about three minutes. Um, it was Spanish guards stamping our passports. You walk out the other side and it's the Gibraltar airport, which literally crosses the Gibraltar Peninsula uh, water to water. And you stand behind a gate and wait for the British guards to open up the gate so that you can walk across the runway of the Gibraltar airport into <laughs> Gibraltar. <laughs> so different. And the whole time, you know, like you hear about the the rock of Gibraltar and it, it is this just like giant 1500 foot kind of mountaintop that just comes up out of this flatland along the Mediterranean coast. It's really bizarre. Um, but then you're also in England, in the UK. So yeah. you're suddenly using pounds and you're seeing British pubs and, you know, fish and chips and, and meat pies. And, you know, literally you, you cross this runway and you're in a totally different country and people speaking English all over the place. And it, it was pretty wild. That's yeah. wild. I mean, I mean, we, I mean, I've heard about that before, but I didn't realize it was such a, a cultural jump into the deep end of the pool that it was all of a sudden yeah. you were in the UK. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I mean, a lot of people clearly a very diverse place, you know, like I actually don't feel like I heard a lot of British accents. I heard a lot of different accents, uh, but we did, you know, have dinner in a pub after exploring the rock itself. And uh, folks working there were, were absolutely from the UK. And, you know, yeah, it was just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Just oh, uh, yeah, OK. Boom. Like all, I, my mind is blown. Like all of a sudden, boom, we're back in the UK and you know, off we go. Yeah. So, you know, we spend the afternoon and the evening there in the UK, and then we uh, get up the next morning and drive around to uh, about a 20 minute drive around to uh, the ferry terminal, uh, which is back in Spain. And we drop off our car and the ferry is delayed for two hours and you feel like, OK, like the world's changed. We haven't even made it to Morocco, but now we're kind of getting what we expect. So two hour delay, you get on the ferry. It's about uh, I think it was about an hour and a half crossing over the eight mile straight. It's not like an actual eight mile journey, but the straight itself is eight miles at its narrowest point. And that was just talking about a different kind of border. They had a police officer from Morocco set up a table in the cafeteria. And then they moved all the tables and chairs around to create like a I, I guess it's supposed to be a secure location, um, like the tables and the chairs keep people away from him. And we all lined up and uh, just this one guy, he's got this big Mission Impossible style suitcase <laughs> uh, that I, I swear I used as a teacher 10 plus years ago, maybe 12, maybe even 15 years ago, I had that computer. And, uh, you know, there's a scanner built in there and he's scanning people's passports. He's doing it all by himself. And he's the border, basically. Um, he gets you all signed in. There weren't any taxes or anything. No, and no visas. Uh, no, no visas. I think it's a 90 day, you know, 90 day entry for, for us. And, and I apologize um, for missing this. This was a Moroccan yeah. Okay. Because you're obviously using Spain going into Morocco. So they were controlling the border going on the way in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get off the ferry and there were, I think there were two or maybe even three spots where there were some local officials in the ferry complex that were also just checking your passport, but that, that was it. And we walked out and, uh, 
were promptly told that there was no way we could bring our, our backpacks on the buses because first of all, the buses don't exist. And <laughs> then when it became clear that we knew that there were buses, then they told us, well, that they wouldn't let us bring their bags on. And then they tried various other strategies to try to get us to- They being the taxi drivers. Yeah, that the taxi drivers trying to get us to pay 10 times more than the bus charged us uh, to get us in a taxi to drive the hour to town. So all but of a sudden, to- like, like, bing, the radar goes up. Right. Yeah. It's like now we're an entirely different dynamic. Get Abby. Yeah. But, you know, back to Brent's comment about the ferry being delayed and also to my comment earlier about Morocco feeling like a bit of a buffer. Like Brent and I have traveled together and, and individually in Latin America and we've taken the local minibuses, right, where everyone is just crowded in and there's no assigned seats, obviously. And, you know, you're standing and you're being bumped around and every public transportation we've taken in Morocco has been very orderly. Everybody has had a seat. A number of them we've had assigned seats. I don't think anything else has been delayed. And we've taken a number of buses we've taken today. We took a train. So it really does feel like that kind of intersection of two worlds. Do you think that's a, um, you know, the fact that you you pointed to the fact that it was so orderly in Morocco. Do you think that those of us who are listening on the other side of the ocean, who are primarily Western, have this dynamic in our head that this is some sort of lawless country where everything is sort of upside down? And then like, and you're you're dispelling that myth a bit right now? You know, I'm going to answer that in a a backhanded way. Um, We've we were talking the other day about this, the language that we use to describe other parts of the world. And, you know, we've kind of graduated post-Cold War away from first world, third world. So sometimes we talk about the global South, sometimes, you know, but but most of the time we're using that language of developed versus developing and Mm -hmm. or Western and developing. And I don't, have another form of another vocabulary for it, but it also feels like developing implies an aspirational, you know, people waiting to be quote unquote developed to the Western world. Right. Um, and I, and I think that we need to find another way to talk about it. And maybe that exists and I'm just ignorant to it, but I, I don't get the sense that Morocco is, you know, a lawless country, nor yeah, is yeah. it aspiring to be Western Europe or, or the United States or Canada. Right. Exactly. Um, it is, it, it isn't some international backwater that all of a sudden, if, if these people just did things differently, it would be better here. Right. That's, that's right. what it's not interesting. Okay. And in fact, yeah. there's, there's real pushback to some of those ideas. Like they, you know, as, as I heard Zoe talking about, they, they don't celebrate Christmas here. They, as a country, don't celebrate, don't mark January 1st as new year's day. They mark the Barbary, New Year's, um, you know, as part of the the Muslim calendar. And so there's been this pushback against, I think, French colonial rule and trying to claim that independence in 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 daily life and also in in traditions. Yeah, I think there's a cultural dynamic in place when and we see you see it in movies like uh, as you know, my daughter is, is huge with film and she works in production in many different ways. And she always talks about how resentful she is. When a country, when a movie was set in America and they switched to another country, they changed the filter on the camera. Right. As if yeah. some sort of sound like now you see it like in movie traffic a lot when they went to Mexico and you see it when they went to uh, the Middle East in TV shows like Homeland. And that's not necessarily. And, and so it gets, gets kind of ingrained into the Western culture that these places, to your point, are aspirational. They, they need to be more like us. And I think what you're saying is I want you to walk me towards or away from this is that they're just fine the way they are. Like they don't need to be like us in order to feel like fully actualized countries. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that overall, that's absolutely right. And obviously, there's always room for, you know, all of us, whether we're in Morocco or the United States to, you know, make changes that make our societies better. But, but overall, yeah, and I, you know, I was thinking, you know, to your, to your original question, you know, it makes me think, you know, we, we hike a lot, you hike a lot, right? We do these things physically. And, you know, for people that do those kinds of things, like there's a comfort level that comes with them. And then for, you know, 99% of other people, they hear that you've run five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, a hundred miles, and they can't, they cannot process that experience. And I think that travel is a lot like that as well, you know, where, you know, you build up a kind of a skill set and a comfort level for the discomfort or the difference, the the different realities and experiences you're going to have. And things really, you know, become a lot easier. I think so much of the public narrative, whether it's about, you know, you well, you shouldn't run a marathon because you'll have a heart attack and die or you'll need knee replacements or with travel, you shouldn't go to Morocco or some other part of the world because it's much too dangerous and lawless. A lot of those public narratives are defined by the majority of people who don't actually wrestle with it and develop the skill set for it. So, you know, a couple of nights ago in Fez, which is just this mind-blowingly different city um, in so many really amazing and wonderful ways and some challenging ones. But Fez has this reputation as being this like, <laughs> you know, like um, art of darkness type labyrinth of a city that once you go into it, you'll never come out. Right. 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 And we were having dinner. I think it was our fourth night there. And, uh, we were leaving and an American family had just walked in and a, a young woman pulls us aside and it's basically like, so did you, did you have a guide? And we were like, no, we haven't had any kind of tour. And she couldn't believe that. Right. right. And she basically was like, how did you get around? She's like, it's really not that that hard, especially with a phone. It, it it's not that difficult. <laughs> right. The idea that you that you need you need a local fixer. You need a you need a, a filter between the the local community and you. And if that person doesn't exist, you're kind of exposed. And you're saying, well, no, we're we're okay without that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And right. and we've also made local connections and people who have, you know, helped us with directions. We had this when we walked into Fez for the first time. We, we were fumbling a little bit trying to find our um, lodging because it was kind of tucked away in, a, in an alley. And this, this man who owns a small leather stand directed us to it. Um, and we ended up seeing him several times over the next four or five days. And he gave the kids gifts and we talked to him about his family and about our family. And our last evening, he actually invited us over to his house, would have been today to have couscous with his family, which is a big Friday tradition um, in Morocco, which we've just learned about. And unfortunately, we already had our bus tickets or our train tickets for today and we couldn't do it. But what a gift it would have been to be able to spend the evening with him who just kind of became became our friend because we, you know, continued to make connections with him along the week. Another thing I've been wondering about too is, and I don't think that you're doing this one bit, but I know that many people do when they travel is that they kind of objectify the places that they're going, where they treat the, they treat the, the, the location as a sideshow, which is, which is merely a, a backdrop to their own experience. And I, and we've all been guilty. I've been guilty of that myself as I've kind of traveled myself. And I went from being like, you know, these, I, I, I my view of the people that I'm around has changed over time as I've traveled more. And they're, they are not characters in my story, but they're fully developed people on their own who deserve to be recognized and honored in the way I represent them. 
you're, the phone gets you, but you're both nodding your head. Can you talk a bit about that? How you kind of like kind of resist that and you kind of approach that in your trip? Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, there's a huge language barrier here for us. You know, we don't speak French and, uh, which a lot of people do speak and we, we absolutely don't speak Arabic. You know, we've got, I think a five word vocabulary in Arabic, which is plenty to make people smile at us. And, uh, but yeah, that's about all we can do. Um, so, you know, to be fair, like it does limit our ability to really make deeper connections unless we run into someone like the leather shop guy whose English was very, very good. Um, where I, my mind goes is, you know, we've been talking about the fine line between the people we run into who genuinely either just want to help us with no ulterior motives um, or people that genuinely just want to talk and people that uh, clearly want to get something out of us. Right like financial transaction, right? Which is fine, right? I mean, it's their country. They have absolutely every right to do that. But I think that for a lot of people, the instinct is to always kind of put your head down and either ignore the conversation that's coming at you or um, to, to try to shut it down somehow strategically. And we do that, right? Like, I mean, you, you can't engage with every single person that's talking to you or we'd barely be out of the ferry terminal at this point. Um but it's a fine line, right? And so, you know, we've engaged with several people that I think did kind of want something ultimately. Like, I think we're hoping that we would enter their shop or take a look at their carpet. But there were also some really nice conversations, right? You know, we ran into this one guy the other day at some real, like old ruins um, who told us how he lived in the hills, uh, kind of up toward this mountain over Fez, which I ended up kind of running up that way myself um, for an afternoon. And we had a nice chat with him. And at the end of it, yeah, he wanted us to buy hats and carpets and we didn't, but you know, he was happy to have that exchange. And we um, were happy to have that exchange. Yeah, there was another guy who uh, physically grabbed Zoe, trying to drag her into his carpet shop, at which point Abby wisely, I think, took Zoe who was uncomfortable with that and walked her away. And I stood and chatted with him for the better part of 10 minutes about Pink Floyd and uh, Rolling Stones and tourists and, you know, how a lot of the people working in Fez are not from Fez and how he misses kind of the old times. And, you know, it was a really nice conversation. So. And, I, and I think that's the mental balance, right? Between your, your, what you're doing is you have a crash course now and you, you need to, when you live when you live your day-to-day -day life in in a place that you've lived in for a long time probably 95% of your interactions with people you know but when you travel there's the mental load and mental energy of of gauging every single interaction as in i don't know you i don't know what you want from me and you need to have that kind of that built in your 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 you have enough protection for yourself and your family but also you need to be vulnerable enough to enjoy the experience and that's got to be that's that's a, a something that has to be honed over time, which is really really hard to do. Yeah, yeah, and you win some and you lose some, right? right. You have some where you don't get anywhere, um, and you have others that I'm you know I'm sure you miss some, right? Like I'm sure you miss some real opportunities as well when you do just move on because you need to or or just don't have the energy for it in that moment. Well, and it's been an interesting balance trying to navigate some of the cultural differences too. For example. Um, we had read coming here before coming here that people in Morocco love kids and they're, they just dote on kids. And as, as a woman last night told us who's French, but of Moroccan descent, um, said, especially young boys and Simon in particular has felt that 
um, every single day, you know, people touching him, people rubbing his head, a few people giving him kisses like on his hand or on his head. And we've talked to both of our kids a lot about consent over their lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think living in a country that um, is is pretty hands off in the way we treat people that we don't know. And also that, you know, like we live in a country where consent is something that is or should be heralded, right? Like I talked to my students about the, the origins of whatever. Um, it's been really challenging in some ways to say, like Simon will say to us, why are you letting that person touch me? And how do we say to him, he's telling you he cares about you. She's she's trying to make you feel welcome, but also we understand that it's uncomfortable. And that, that's been a particularly tricky one to navigate. Yeah. That's really interesting. The idea that when a, when a, a cultural norm, which is, and we we'll use the term benevolent, which is, which is couched in care and love and a, an appropriate emotion. When a cultural norm collides with a cultural norm from your own country, those two, they, how they kind of meet in the middle and you're, you're trying to navigate that with him. That's a, that's a pretty, I'm sure it's not the, that's not the last time you got that conversation in the very many places you're going to visit of how those two things have to kind of be squared. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, I don't, it's a really interesting one because it's not like, uh, well, in this culture, this is how they, this is when they drink their tea. And in this one, this is when they drink their tea, right? Or in this culture, this is how they enter a house. And this is how they enter the house in the United States. Right. This is like, like such a, uh, uh like a bipolar juxtaposition, yes, right? Like huge. Yeah. If, if people engage with kids, the way our kids are getting treated here, someone would end up probably in jail. Right. Um, and here it's actually like it is so kind of like fundamentally heartwarming watching these interactions. Honestly, you know, like Simon is being treated with so much love and care and it is opening these incredible doors, I think, for us experientially, you know, to have either, you know, brief powerful exchanges or, you know, deeper, more profound ones with someone like the leather shop owner, um, or this, this man, um, who became our best friend in chef Shuan. I don't know if, if Zoe <laughs> talked to you about Latvi, the, the restaurant owner, we went to his restaurant every night for dinner because largely because of how he interacted with our kids and his food was just off the charts. Good. Um, but he and Simon ended up bartering. They were trading little toys um, from our first night there. And so, you know, Simon's little, actually Brent's old yeah. Mike Murrow machine car from the eighties, which Simon had with him is now sitting on this, this beautiful shelf in Bill, 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 Bill Moe's restaurant in Bill. Chef Chuen. And Simon has, um, three little toys from Latfi that he has collected at flea markets. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, do you do this with all the kids that come into the shop? And he's like, I've never made a trade before. Um, and yeah, it just, these are like really genuine, sweet interactions. This experience of you navigating that culturally. And to your point, this isn't like how you enter a house or you drink your tea. This is a big deal for culturally. You're, the idea you're navigating it with conversations with Simon, with Zoe, with yourselves. It's a, it's, it, I was not expecting to hear this in your trip so far, right? That that's, I knew there'd be cultural things change. This feels kind of a high stakes cultural thing to kind of navigate. Yeah, it was like, I mean, day one, Brian, we're on the bus from the ferry. It's like an hour long bus ride, local bus, right? Um, local bus ride from the ferry terminal that we came into to Tanja, um, the town. We're tired. Uh, we fall asleep. Abby and I fall asleep. We're in the back row of this bus, right? And I wake up from a doze at one point 
to watch some dude is like playing with Simon's head, like rubbing his head. And like Abby and I are here out next to him, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, we are in a totally different place. And it's, I mean, it is every, when we are out in public, it is, it is at least every half hour to hour, Simon will get physical interaction from strangers. And and luckily Zoe is a little bit more shielded from it, I think, because she's a little older and because um, you know, based on what we've we've heard, because she's a girl. Um, because I think those conversations are different with a nine-year-old than they are with a four-year-old, regardless yes. of gender. And it doesn't make it more okay with one versus the other. But but with Simon, the conversation ends after we answer him. Right. And with Zoe, I think that conversation would kind of cycle through and Zoe. In, in a different way. I think Zoe also appreciates what it does. Yeah. Like I, I, Zoe, I, I think she is totally fine with the level she's getting, but I think there's moments where you can kind of see that she really savors the moments where she gets that physical, you know, hair tassel or whatever it might be as well. I think she is a little jealous that her brother gets all this attention and she doesn't get much at all. Yeah. 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 Um, and she knows what it's, where it's coming from. It's yeah. from a really good, safe place. You know, when we fall asleep on a bus, notwithstanding, um, that we are going to be there to gauge right or wrong, right? right? So like when the when the carpet shop owner was talking to us about music and then grabbed Zoe's arm and said, let me come, let me play you some Pink Floyd when you come into my shop. Zoe looked at us and like, I kind of grac- graciously took her away and we walked away. So gotcha. hopefully creating for them a sense of security within these interactions. As I, as I think about these, 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 inter- these conversations, these conversations over time and, and what we're, we're trying to create here with recording your trip, for me, there's a balance between the logistical part of it too, right? The uh, navigating a border crossing and then the the impact on you as a family and the things that you're growing and learning. And and we keep these conversations to roughly an hour or so as we have them. We can go for a much longer time because there's so much to process. And so I always try to balance those two things, the idea like the logistical part of it combined with the personal growth part of it. Let me just come back to the logistical part of it too, because I have heard that people are tapping into this for the purpose of learning about how to take a trip like this themselves. And they build that around there. So, so, how has it been navigating the, the transit systems? Is the phone still the primary uh, thing you're using for the, reserving your seats on trains and buses in Morocco? Is it you going to a local station to do that? Are you interacting with someone behind a ticket counter? Like, how are you doing that? Yeah, so, so far, it's all been through the phone or a computer. You know, it's all internet. Um, we've taken two bus rides and a train ride. Uh, I guess it's, I guess the first bus, the very first bus off the ferry, that's not true. We, um, I had to do some research to figure out our options to get to to town from the ferry. Um, and on first glance, there doesn't seem to be anything except what's called a grand taxi, mm-hmm. uh, which is a different kind of taxi system that they have here. But, um, you know, I had done some homework and found that there is indeed a local bus that trolls the road. And that if you are savvy enough to just walk out of the station past all those taxi drivers, you can get on that bus and pay. I think we paid. We paid like a dollar I think it was like uh, I think it was two dollars and forty cents for four people for an hour long bus total, ride. Total, right? Sixty cents. Yeah, but then we Holy did cow. two. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's not all that that cheap, but um. 
you know, we've done two longer range, like two to three hour bus rides, which I, I booked online. And we just did our first train ride here, which was only about a half hour, also online. Tomorrow, we may get another, or not tomorrow, but in the next couple of days, we're going to do a day excursion where I think we will try another local bus. So kind of doing my homework on that right now to figure out exactly how that might work. But so, so I'll get, get it, I'm sorry. By and large, our day to day is on foot. Um, so other than travel days, we are walking, you know, eight to 10 miles most days. So we're not navigating the intra-city public gotcha. transportation. Yeah, it's different place place to place to place. Exactly. So so and, and I just want to get super duper nerdy on this, Brent, because I, I I think it's it's a you don't really read a whole lot about this. So you you have you have your phone, you have this magic device. Thank you, Steve Jobs, in your hand. You have this magic device. It's tapped into some sort of payment system. You have a credit card tied to it. Do you do the purchasing through an app that you're downloading in country, or is there an international service that you're using for that? So the two buses are a, a local bus company, and I've bought tickets just through their website, and we end up getting like PDF tickets emailed to us, which I just had to have those opened on my computer. So they don't have the fancy, you know, yeah, Uh, they don't have the fancy, like save it to your wallet on your iPhone function. Um, But the PDFs have made everybody happy enough and they can scan them. And so that's worked quite well. Um, The train today was a little more complicated. It was kind of actually like uh, one or two things we did in Europe, Um, like a third party transaction and then um similarly ended up with pdf files in an email but had a hard time actually getting them sent to me so i I figured that out it was something with some email settings or something like that but you know going into this morning we weren't sure we actually had tickets for the train the tonnage of navigating all the different interactions with tickets and planes and buses and people that's probably a big barrier for a lot of people yeah. I mean, I was just going to say exactly. Like, I think, you know, he was talking to Zoe today how, you know, of the American population, only whatever, 90% of them will travel internationally, maybe less. I don't know. Right. And then of those, I think a know, lot less than 90%. Probably a lot less than 90%, but like over the course of a lifetime, maybe, mm-hmm. right? Like 90%. Don't travel. I'm saying 10%. Don't don't travel, yes. Yeah, maybe I misspoke (laughs) that. So, yeah, if 10% of America travels internationally, maybe 90% of those people will never travel outside of a safe space like Europe or Canada, right? Uh, Maybe throw in like a New Zealand and Australia. Um, And then even in a place like this, like the vast majority of people, you know, they're paying for the all-inclusive tour, right? Where they have a guide the whole time who arranges everything, um, private vehicles transporting you between cities instead of navigating the buses and trains. Yeah, they're and in a bubble. Yeah. And, you know, I understand why. Like, it, I, I mean, I do a lot of that part of our planning, I think. And, you know, the amount of time I spend with my nose buried in the phone, just trying to figure out a bus route, and then having to figure it out again three days later and then do it again because I have forgotten everything I figured out. It's a lot. It's a lot. Right. And it's all different, right? Like, you know, in one part of the country, you do it this way. And in another, it's a totally different system and a different bus line and then different norms. So, yeah, I think that's just, and then of course, there's the, you layer in the, the, the fatigue, the dozing in the back of the bus, working with little people. Like there's a lot there for you to sort of wrap your head around as you, as you do all. And it's easier just to say, hey, listen, like I'm going to pay you local person a lot of money just to do this thing for us. And not that there's not a time and a place for that. 
right? There isn't, there is sometimes you, you, you have to measure your emotional, you know, power bank a little bit. Listen, we're just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy my way out of this aggravation because I'm tired and I'm exhausted. I'll get the hotel room where I'm going to get in the taxi rather than the bus. But as long as you're judicious about that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Zoe referenced this a bit before, and Abby, when you wrote about the trip, you talked about the, the the homesickness and managing all of that. And for those who are listening at home, roamingroots.net is the is the website that you set up that is the partner to this podcast series, right? That what we talk about here very often is written about there. For those who've had a chance to to read what you wrote and also those who have not, walk us through that experience. Because that sounds like it might have been the most challenging part of your trip so far is navigating all of that emotion and all of that around Christmas. What was that like for you? Yeah, Christmas was, I think we we were not prepared for it to be as challenging as it was. And, and we probably could have done a better job ourselves of anticipating that. Um, we knew coming to Morocco that it was not a country that did kind of a big collective Christmas celebration. There are very few, I, I don't know it's the not, percentage. 99, the statistics I've read, 99% of the country is Muslim. Okay. Um, and we had read that outside of, you know, big commercial shopping malls, like legitimate malls, um, there just really wasn't a presence for Christmas. We have traveled, mo- oh, gosh, almost every year of Zoe's life in some capacity over Christmas. And Brett and I traveled many times before that. And so being away for Christmas is not foreign to Zoe, but being in a country where Christmas isn't really acknowledged, I think is. And that compounded feelings of homesickness that she was already having, but kind of managing pretty well. Um, You know, some FaceTiming with friends and family and putting Band-Aids on that. And um, we traveled from Chef Chouin to Fez on Christmas Eve. And she was, she was, you know, just a little bit off kilter. And then the trip was, you know, it was one of those bus rides where the driver just wanted to get from point A to point B in as little time as possible and was, you know, bumper to bumper with every possible vehicle that he encountered along the way. So we were, we were white knuckling that bus ride. We, you know, were dehydrated. We weren't eating, you know, all the things that happen on a long haul bus and, ride. This and the, the, the dehydration was on purpose because you couldn't stop to go to the bathroom. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we had actually put <laughs> just so because, you know, just he's fine. Right. We don't want that to be an additional well, worry. I, I think at full disclosure, I think I would have needed to pull up. I don't think it's just yeah. Simon. <laughs> we talked about that. We saw it. Okay, before we left. And yeah. Brent made a joke about that. Um, <laughs> So we got we got to Fez and she just kind of made it very clear that she was feeling feeling the feelings. And I think totally understandably, um, I am a I'm Jewish, so I didn't grow up with Christmas. And I know that feeling of watching everybody around you celebrate Christmas and having a sense of longing from that. And in some ways, she was having the exact opposite experience and knowing that everybody back at home was celebrating it, but that she didn't have her roots under her for it, I think was really, really hard for her. And, and, and Fez is, it's gotta be one of the more foreign just spaces you could find yourself in at a time like that, where you're already feeling lots of feelings and having a hard time, you know, a whole number of adults kind of have remarked on us about just how overwhelming Fez is. And it, and it is, and can be, 
Um, so I think it was just a perfect storm for her. Um, walking into that environment at that particular time was, it was a lot. When you say overwhelming, you mean like busy, right? Noisy, a lot of crowds, a lot of people like that. And she's, and she's not big, right? She's only, she's only going to be 10, right? So from a height perspective, she's, she gets, she gets overwhelmed by crowds really easily. Yeah. yeah, like literally swallowed up by them. Yeah. Um, you know, people pushing, people wielding carts around us, and, and um, yeah. It, Fez, like, do you know anything about Fez? I, I, I did not know a whole lot going in. No, I just um, know the hats. The hats. That's pretty much where I stopped. Yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting. The um, I'm not sure I saw a single Fez hat while we were in Fez. I've seen some on like. On the stores, but not yeah. on people's heads. Those are the tourists, by the way. Those are the tourists wearing the feds. Yeah. The um. So, like all, all the lead up research I did on Morocco, and like when you talk to most people, the first thing you hear about is Marrakesh, right? Like right. it's all about Marrakesh, and you know, we our Lonely Planet has like literally a hundred plus page section on Marrakesh, and Fez gets maybe thirty pages uh, within a you know within another section. Um, and so it's not that we didn't have any expectations or interest in the place, but it, it, yeah, it, but it is like one of the most unique cities I've ever seen. Um, and you've traveled a lot. Yeah. And, uh, I've seen like, you know, bits of it in places, but so Fez has the biggest, essentially non drivable urban area in the world. And there's something like, I mean, I, I actually saw a couple different numbers while we were there, so I don't know what the real number is, but I think the highest number we saw was like 12,000 different streets. And I say streets because some of these streets are more like pretty short half block dead end alleys. Um, but yeah, there's like thousands upon thousands of streets and walkways that make up this giant labyrinth of the heart of the city. And they're narrow and they're lined with everything from, you know, jewelry shops to tourist shops to, to, um, local markets to butchers. Like we walked through one part where there were live chickens that were being ready to, to be sold. And then you walk, you looked across the street and there were, there were chicken heads on the ground. Right. Um, you're kind of trying to navigate the kids around it. Yeah. And, or as, we, as we call those, those are, those are the formerly live chickens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, these these alleys range from being maybe wide enough for five people to walk side by side if they were shoulder to shoulder to you can touch both sides of the alleys without stretching your arms out, right? And a lot of them are covered. Like it, it's outdoors. Uh you're not inside, but a lot of them have like, you like know, wooden structure on wooden that. and you know, corrugated plastic ceilings and roofs. And, you know, it is just this incredible sensory experience. Um, and literally, yeah, like for most people, you wander around in there and you're going to be lost and, and and really have a hard time finding right. your way. We and figured- so Simon spent like five days on our shoulders because, it, yeah. Yeah. And and this was and this was Christmas Eve. Am I, am I, am I saying it correctly? This was... We arrived on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so, so not by design, but you really dropped a huge, in retrospect, looking back on it, and you're going to do this a million times on a trip, right? You're going to look back on something and realize, wow, that was pretty intense. Your end of episode question, what could we have done better? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was probably it, right? There we go. <laughs> you beat me to it. I kind of read that one, but I kind of figured that was going to be the answer to that question. Um, and I do want to encourage our listeners out there to jump over to the to the website and look at the look at the the blog that is being uh, being done by Abby, where it really goes deep and and that whole experience and how you navigated your way through that. 
And, and that, I mean, I think that just that, that is what it is, right? You're going to experience that many times during the course of the trip. And this is not the last time that's going to happen. We have to sort of navigate an intense emotional experience. So, you know, it, it, it us, though, look up, you know, okay, when is Lunar New Year and where where are we going to be when it's celebrated? And so mm-hmm. we now like we know we're going to be in probably Vietnam or Cambodia when it happens. And so now we're prepared for that. You know, January 13th, we learned is the Burberry New Year. So that will be celebrated in Morocco and we'll be prepared for that. So it gave us a little bit more foresight to say, okay, what are we what are we coming to next? <laughs> yeah, it, and it's a, it's a it's a big growth thing, right? The idea that the as as two adults, and I would argue that if you were traveling solo, that the that Christmas would have come and it would have gone, right? You would have had that, but the idea of it going through the eyes of a child and recognizing what's going on back at home, you know, because I'm uh, if if I can get into Zoe's head for a second, she was probably imagining her friends dancing around the Maypole singing Christmas carols, right? And she's in in Fez watching formerly alive chickens, you know, being dispatched right and so there's a lot of that her she has to kind of navigate all of that yeah and look like i'm scrolling through instagram and facebook on christmas feeling some of those same feelings like right. oh everybody you know living their best life even though i know intellectually that's not true everybody puts on their the, their best selves and Whoa. their best experiences on social media and so i'm feeling a little bit of that and you know magnify that times 100 for her well, we always talk to for the, and I would turn it into a child developmental podcast, but it really always kind of sort of is with it with us. The idea that 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 children that they feel emotions experiences four times the amount of an adult does because an adult we're kind of older, we're kind of a bit more callous. We've we've been through more life experiences, and so for so for for anyone like that to kind of live through that is a is a, an intense emotional experience. Which of course you navigate it on the other side of that now. Um, so what what is what is the what what is how is your perspective change? I don't have my for the, those at home. I don't have my list of questions. I'm sitting in the uh, the Fairmount Miramar Hotel. Thank you for this conference room. Um, so my we have to sort of make the question up as we go along. And one question I always ask is is like how has your perspective changed since the last time we spoke? The thing that has felt different between our last conversation and now is the connections we've been making with people in our travels, and it has far and away been my favorite part of the last few weeks. Um, We have met people from New Zealand and Australia and Canada and the United States and France and Spain and England, as well as people from Morocco. And we have had like genuine, authentic, legitimate connections with them. And, you know, they're not going to become lifelong friends necessarily, but we've had dinner with two different families that we met. And we, you know, sat last night with this, this woman I, I mentioned up on the terrace of our, of our Riyadh where we were staying and and talked for an hour and the kids have made friends. And it, it has just been like, I'm not sure I have the words to convey how meaningful those experiences have been for me. And people had talked about that happening, but I was pretty dubious about it. Um, it, it has been incredibly special. I think in the larger picture, that's why in some countries where there's an expat community, they're so tight with each other because they yep. sort of they, they there's that growth. They, they share those common cultural bonds and therefore they're magnetized to each other. So you're getting that experience and you're getting the local experience to watering with restaurant owners for over toys. Right. You're getting those those two for the price of one experience. Brett, what do you think? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, I, I think that's a great one. I, I don't know that I have a. None that I have a better answer other than, like, other than as has been true thus far, step of the way, things are overall going better than I'd expect them to. 
you know, like uh, Morocco is not not the hardest place I've ever traveled in, but it's definitely, you know, more challenging than average. And the kids are handling it with grace overall. And, you know, the issues we're having with them have nothing to do with the challenges of Morocco. Um, they just have to do with, you know, just basic you know, human questions, but, um, but yeah, like when we rolled into Fez and the wheels were kind of coming off a bit, um, you know, we had kind of retired for the night. I was sitting outside of our room. We're staying in these beautiful places, by the way, here in Morocco, pretty unique lodging environments where there are these like old, I, I don't know what they were. Some of them I think were like used to be mansions. Um, others were just big houses. They're kind of built around courtyards. They range from like smaller guest houses that only have maybe four or five rooms to like these really big places like the one we're in now that probably has a dozen or so. And they're just sensationally beautiful, but also very communal. So, you know, we had put the kids down. I was sitting outside. I think we were both starting to feel the trauma of Zoe's trauma. And it's 10 o'clock at night and this guy walks in uh name is nicholas from quebec and he and his family um he and his wife and three kids are on a month-long trip themselves here in morocco and we just kind of banded together with them for three days and you know we'd basically spend our breakfast time together and the kids would play and then in the evening we would usually cross cross paths we went out together one night for dinner and it's always been messaging with the oldest daughter Zoe's, the last three days. And he's, he's the French speaker. Zoe was talking about it. He'll Google Translate yes. now for a new best friend. Yep. Yeah. And like Nicholas and I are still texting through WhatsApp about like the challenges of just life, the universe and the meaning of everything. And and I think so much of that is because of that commonality of travel. Right. And, you know, the common struggles that come with that. And people tend to gravitate toward one another yeah. as the expats do. Right. As you as you pointed out. I think the other perspective changing thing happened today, actually, we, we arrived in Meknes and we knew we would be here for New Year's and we knew that New Year's was a relatively quiet holiday, kind of the January 1st, New Year's. Um, but, but we didn't know if there would be any sort of communal celebration. And we asked the woman who owns the, the Riyadh where we're staying. And she said, actually, Morocco has canceled New Year's celebrations because of the situation in Gaza, um, kind of in solidarity with and mourning for the people of Gaza. Morocco has, what we learned, joined a number of um, countries in the Arab world, um, which have which have said, OK, we're not having fireworks. We're not having big gatherings like we are using this as a day of reflection and you know solemnity. Um, which I think was was just a powerful uh, moment for us to have that conversation with her, but then also do a little digging, read about it, and then talk to Zoe about it too. So that, that was a question that popped in my head before that I, I'm glad you brought that back up again. How connected are you to the outside world in terms of what's going on in the world? Like, do you know anything about like local, like national politics in America? Are you intentionally staying inside your, dare I use the term, bubble of your family on the trip right now? Like, where do you... How much do you know about what's going on back here? I think we are both keeping an eye on headlines, but have pulled back considerably from really digesting content. Um, you know, I, I'm an avid podcast listener when I'm home, um, consume a lot of news and, and politics through podcast form. And I've listened to, I think, a t- total of maybe two hours of those podcasts in the last month plus now. And one of those was only a half hour 
bit or maybe even a 15 minute bit. And I could feel just like my body reacting to the news because of just how fraught our political realities are at home. And uh, it was just such a, you know, like I'm aware of that when I'm home too, but I just put my head down and consume it because I feel like I have to, and I want to, but here I've actually kind of said, you know, I'm having that reaction. I've got enough other things to, to focus on right now. I don't need that too. So I think we've, and I think we've both, whether it's for that reason or not chosen not to spend much time consuming some of the news, but we're keeping an eye on things. Like we're, you know, certainly aware of various stories that are unfolding. Yeah. Both yeah. global and domestic in the United States. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that you were dominated with the, the, the news this week that the, the Philadelphia Eagles actually hired the NFL refs to beat the New York Giants. I'm sure you, that was a, a major conversation topic. I heard that's huge in Fez that was leading the, the, lead, the lead story going on there. But besides that, we, we need to move on for that pain and trouble. Um, so so you're there now. It's now December 29th, right? You're there you, You're there for the, the turn of the calendar. Let's not call it New Year's, right, Abby? Right, the turn of the calendar into January 1st. What's the, what's the horizon? Like, what's next? We are in Meknes for until January 2nd. And it's funny, every single person we talked to leading up to moving on from Feds was like, oh, Meknes, it's a day trip. There's nothing to do there. You're going to be bored. And we have four nights here. And so we were kind of prepared for a really quiet, like, okay, maybe we'll just have a couple days of of chilling. And we've found plenty to do. And, you know, there's there's things to do in the Medina. There's the day trip Brent mentioned. Um, there's just, it, it, it feels like a pretty vibrant place. Um, we encountered our first, <laughs> how do you, how do you even like, uh, yeah, I don't, there, there are words for these kinds of things. You know, I think the, there's a big square in Marrakesh, which we are really, I don't know how we feel about it, but I, I'm excited to see it. <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's a thing out of an Indiana Jones film, right. Where you get the the classic, the snake charmers and, you know, the, the, the folks that have, um, you know, taken monkeys from the wild, right. And, uh, are using them to make a, make a dollar. Um, so like Marrakesh is really famous for that. And a lot of really wonderful, amazing artistic and musical performances, as well as some of those less savory things or less stereotypically air quote exotic things. Um, yeah. So here in Meknes, like we didn't really see anything like that in Fez here in Meknes, there's a big square, which is largely shut down right now for some kind of refurbishment process, but they have this one little walkway and we're walking down it today and we see a guy with a big snake that I'm pretty sure is dead, but I don't know. It's just kind of strange. He said it was a cobra. <laughs> I mean, it was a big snake. I think it might have been a cobra. I just don't know if it actually was alive, uh, but maybe he was going to bring it back to life. And then a little bit further down, there's an ostrich just standing there in the way. And then a guy with a monkey that Zoe said she was pretty sure was in a Lionel Messi jersey. And I think she might have been right. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at that monkey tomorrow because if he is wearing a messy shirt, we're getting a picture. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, Meknes is charming and there's a lot of, I'm excited for our four days here, three days here. And then we're going on to Rabat, which is the capital. Um, And the thing that I know most about Rabat is um, a number of people have shared that we should go to the zoo in Rabat. Um, and then there's also the stork migration right now. So there are storks and stork nests like all over Rabat. Um, 
it sounds like there's also been really big protests in Rabat over the last several days. So we're not totally sure what we're going to encounter, but um, I think seeing the capital will be. And on the ocean. And it's on, it's on the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to Marrakesh for a week. And then we actually have a car that we rented and we're going to go to the desert for eight or nine days, um, kind of do a big loop back to Marrakesh and then fly out from there. A bit of a travel nerd question. How do you find out about the stork migration? How do you find out about the 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 shutdown squares? How do you find out about the the ostriches? Like what is your what is your primary source of information? Is it local? Locals giving you feedback? Is it a website? Is it Lonely Planet? Like where are you digging all that out? Yeah, the storks and the closure of the square were both from Nicholas from Montreal. Um, because yeah. they had come through Meknes already. And then the the protests we read about on um just in, in reading about New Year's today. Got yeah, it. but we're, we're using Lonely Planet. It's our, our go-to. And, you know, I've tried over the years here and there to move away from it to something else. And I always come back to it. Um, though I'll, I'll, I'll say out loud, if Lonely Planet's watching, I'm sure they are, <laughs> or listening. I don't like the new format. You know, stick to what works. The old format's better. But I think it's a reflection of the changing world anyway. Gotcha. Um, but Lonely Planet and then yeah, we just wandering right like yeah we learned that a lot of things here in Meknes unfortunately happen to be closed right now but we also happen to just wander right through all of those closures our first time out of our our Riyadh our lodging um or like I was googling you know running as a single woman in Rabat um and you know what I might encounter and one of the things that popped up I don't know why that got me to the the algorithm took me to things to do with kids in robot. There's, there's a different thing to explore there, but the zoo popped up there. Um, so, so some of the things that we're looking up lead us to other things. And you mentioned the running. So let's, let's do some fan servers for our adventure racing friends that are out there listening. The orienteering maps that they exist in Morocco, like they exist in Spain and Portugal. I don't think so. Uh, it is ironic though. We were in this beautiful town, Chef Sean, kind of known as the blue city. And after we left it, Jose posts something on Facebook with like a, a snapshot of an orienteering map from Chef Chuan. And I'd heard about this somewhere earlier. I don't know if it was from Jose. I think it was from Jose that um, apparently there is a very small history of Spanish orienteering clubs coming across Gibraltar and running local orienteering meets here in Morocco. But it sounds like that's been a sporadic thing that's happened over the last decade or so. So I don't know that there's any like there's no as far as I know, no active orienteering here. And uh, yeah, we haven't looked and I wouldn't be terrified to run around a place like Fez with an orienteering map. Just with, with 12,000 streets and, you know, and also that's it's, it's an incredible it's it's a it's a cool idea. But in actuality, my friend, a bit more challenging. Well, and it's not the challenge of it. Like if you could remove all of the people yeah. and the animals and the constant need to be aware of all the like, as we're calling them, like dog poop landmines all around, right? right. The poop landmines. Sure. Let me run around. I like, I'm happy to get lost and confused, but it's all the other stuff. I just, I, I think it would be a pretty miserable experience. I mean, I did a big run myself solo in um, Fez. Yeah. And it took me 20 to 25 minutes just to kind of get out of the city, mostly at a walk, just because I either couldn't run or frankly just felt kind of ridiculous running around in this town with people walking around, yeah. living their lives. Yeah, you're going to bash into somebody. Right. 
Thing is not a norm. Yeah, I went so. for a run at eight o'clock in the morning, and that was a good time to be out because it was sunrise, and you know the only people out and about were kids walking to school. But by the time I came back at eight forty-five, it was already packed, and I had to walk up our street. So there was there's a narrow window between sunrise and and craziness. So are these are these twenty-four hour cities? Because that's what when you get to Asia, you might have that experience. No. Well, people stay up far later than I was expecting. Um, and and like kids are out far later than I was expecting. You know, there's, I, this is probably silly of me, but I, I kind of equate that with more of a bar culture, with more of a, a drinking culture, or like a partying culture. Um, and there's, there's no alcohol here, or I mean, I'm sure there is, but it's definitely not kind of established and sanctioned. Um, but still like, you know, we've, we've heard kids outside our door at midnight or 11 o'clock at night, you know, still hanging out and chatting and like young kids, um, just playing games. Um, there's, it's a, it's a social, like there's clearly like a strong social culture of young people, especially young men and boys being out at kind of all hours. Um, the city wakes up late also, but yeah, or like, the, the country seems to wake up late. This, things get started very late. Like you can walk out at nine or 10 and feel like it's 6 a.m. in most places in the world, I feel like. Um, but they're also not open super late, you know? So like a lot of the shops, they kind of open up late morning, um, sometimes not even till lunchtime-ish. And they're closed by the evening, you know, like uh, nine, 10 o'clock, a lot of them are closed. And then they also, some of those same shops also close for windows of time during the course of the day because of the call to prayer. Um, you know, so uh, it's sometimes difficult to catch certain shops open during the day. I wouldn't be surprised if some of that changes seasonally with the weather because it, it gets really hot in the summer. Um, apparently it's unseasonably cold right now because, and, and I don't, I don't, understand scientifically this correlation, but we were told because of uh, this overwhelming drought that Morocco is experiencing, the temperatures have dropped much lower than average. But in the summer, it can get up, you know, 40, 45 degrees Celsius, which translates to whatever. It's really well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if things actually get started earlier in the summer and then close up for the afternoon. Yeah, which is it's a typical that's a typical circadian rhythm. In, in warm weather areas like that, right? That you see it in many parts of the world have that. Um, so we're wrapping up our time together right now. So which of you wants to take the last word? Do you want to do a rock, paper, scissors for it? Or do you want to be magnanimous and give it to your spouse? I'll, I'll take it. I like to talk. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I would just end with, you know, I have traveled in the Islamic world a couple of times, but not in a very long time. Um, and all of that was in Egypt. And then, you know, the you know parts of Israel. Um, it, the Islamic world is so y- uniquely beautiful, right? And, you know, kind of the question about perspective, like it's not really perspective. Like it's not that I had a different perspective on it, but I've absolutely loved being here as a much older adult, um, you know, to just kind of savor in the beauty of it. And I think that some of this really started to become evident actually when we were still in Spain, kind of learning about um, the, the the junction of, you know, Christian and Muslim history in places like Granada. And a guy was telling us how, 
Christians built their fountains to be big and loud and, you know, both visually loud and, you know, loud in sound. Whereas the Islamic fountains of places like the Alhambra are built to be quiet and soft. And, you know, that every item that is used, um, like down to like utensils is designed artistically because beauty is important. And, uh, and that really holds true. And I, I think it's just been a, a really wonderful um, kind of reminder um, and a deeper experience kind of learning about a different part of the world, a different culture and a totally different way to present life. Thank you to Brent and Abby, and especially to Zoe for joining us for this episode of the Roaming Roots podcast. This is our third episode, number three, recorded at the end of 2023. 2024 is upon us. Next episode is not that far away. Can't wait to hear what happens next for the family as they continue their journey in Morocco and eventually as they bounce over to Southeast Asia. Be sure to check out their website, roamingroots.net, to follow along, to read about the trip, to read the blogs, to see the pictures. They're having a great time, and we're having a lot of fun following along. Be safe, and keep listening.